Welcome to CMS On Air, the podcast on migration, refugee, and population issues, brought to you by the Center for Migration Studies of New York. This is Rachel Reyes, CMS's Director of Communications. On September 19, 2016, United Nations member states gathered for the high-level summit addressing large movements of migrants and refugees. At the conclusion of the meeting, 193 UN member states adopted the New York Declaration for Refugees and Migrants, committing governments to developing a global compact for safe, orderly, and regular migration. The compact, according to the UN, will be the first intergovernmentally negotiated agreement to cover all dimensions of international migration in a holistic and comprehensive manner. It is scheduled to be considered and adopted before the 73rd UN General Assembly in September 2018. In the meantime, government officials, civil society representatives, and other diverse stakeholders are engaging in a series of informal thematic sessions and regional and stakeholder consultations meant to inform the final document. This episode features a conversation with the co-facilitators leading the development of the Global Compact on Migration, Ambassador Juan Jose Gomez Camacho, Permanent Representative of Mexico to the United Nations, and Ambassador Jörg Lauber, Permanent Representative of Switzerland to the United Nations. Ambassador Gomez Camacho has been a career diplomat since 1988, holding various positions within Mexico's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and abroad, including Head of Mission to the European Union and Ambassador to Belgium and Luxembourg, Permanent Representative of Mexico to the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva, Ambassador to Singapore, Myanmar, and Brunei Darussalam, and Deputy Permanent Representative of Mexico to the Organization of American States. Ambassador Lauber previously served as the head of the United Nations and International Organizations Division of Switzerland's Federal Department of Foreign Affairs. He has also served as Deputy Permanent Representative to the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva, Permanent Representative to the Conference on Disarmament, and Chef du Cabinet to the President of the International Criminal Court in The Hague, Netherlands. Now here is our interview with Ambassador Gomez Camacho and Ambassador Lauber with Kevin Appleby, CMS's Senior Director of International Migration Policy. Welcome to the podcast and thank you both for being here. So there is a lot of anticipation about the compact and what it might produce as it will be a groundbreaking document. You are following a process laid out in the modalities document, and you are now near the end of the information gathering phase. This will be followed by the production of a zero draft of the compact early next year and a negotiation phase in the first half of 2018 with a final compact presented to the General Assembly in September 2018. So my first question is, to date, what have you learned about global migration issues, and what do you see as the most pressing and challenging issues the compact will have to address. First of all, yeah, first of all, thank you very much for, for doing this, and thank you, everybody listening into this and, and showing an interest uh, in, in this issue. And uh, as we always say, we speak with one voice. So although we are at the Mexican mission today, yeah. I, I'll start. Yeah. I think one thing that is uh, re- important to both of us is that we, everybody who is in this process develops an understanding that we need to take what we like to call a three, 360 approach to the phenomenon of migration, mm-hmm. meaning we need to understand the diversity of uh, how many issues are actually involved and also the diversity of perspectives 
Um, the Mexican ambassador and I have now also started traveling to the, the regional consultations uh, because we are, in fact, about halfway through this first phase and there's still a lot of consultations uh, going on. And the regional consultations clearly underline the necessity to have an, an understanding for different countries, different regions and sub-regions concerns and, and priorities because migration has so many aspects and that to me, uh, to both of us, I- is very important. I agree. Maybe adding to, to what Ambassador Lover said, one very important element of the process and I think so far looks successful is the confidence building and the trust amongst member states. Uh, because negotiating or discussing or talking about migration is very complex, can become very polarizing, is very political, of course, nationally, let alone uh, internationally. So this phase is allowing us to to achieve that, to, 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 to get trust and to make sure that delegations feel comfortable with the process, feel comfortable in discussing this issue, and of course, feel comfortable with the co-facilitators. We, we really need to maintain, as co-facilitators, the trust of, of member states. And second, probably something interesting that is slowly happening through learning and understanding migration, that there is some kind of demystification of migration, meaning uh, we are actually through evidence, through some figures, through some numbers, um, drawing a fairer picture of how the phenomenon of migration happens, even if we are also discovering that we lack a lot, lot of information. There, there isn't enough information available and we need to keep working on it. As a follow-up, one aspect of the Global Compact which could distinguish it from other documents that the UN has produced and make it a very useful tool in managing migration flows is the prospect of it containing specific targets or goals that are agreed to by all the member states. For example, increasing legal immigration channels by a certain percentage by a certain date is one example. Do you see that specific targets being part of the compact? And if so, what sort of accountability mechanisms could be included in the compact to ensure that member states meet those goals? We keep the order. You know, um, we have the feeling from the New York Declaration that was adopted last year that member states very clearly want to go beyond uh, general principles and political declarations, that they want to see something very specific in the compact. And it's also uh, clear, it's written even, that they want to have a follow-up and review process. How that process is going to look like uh, we don't know yet, but I think the stock-taking conference in Mexico will be a very important moment to have a discussion among member states on what could be an appropriate model, how far they want to go uh, with regard to the, to the Global Compact uh, for Migration. There is a, a number of, of, of models out there. I think there has been progress uh, within the UN system over the last few years to develop uh, specific models or a, a range of models uh, for this kind of thing. But we will have to have this discussion, and then member states will have to decide uh, what exactly they find best in this case. Ambassadors, we're living in a challenging time right now, a challenging political environment uh, globally, where we see the rise of xenophobia in different parts of the world, including in industrialized nations. Um, 
do you think this political atmosphere in which you will be negotiating this compact will prevent you from achieving the type of document you want? That there may be some controversy over what the substance of the compact should be in light of this rise in xenophobia. And, and if you do see that, what can be done to overcome this to ensure that the, the document is progressive and forward-looking? It's not only this specific environment that makes it very complex, but migration is very complex. It's very complex politically, as I was saying before, nationally, regionally, politically, everywhere. It's extremely complex. So precisely, um, this is why we decided, we, we designed a negotiation in the way we did, in three phases. This is why we are not negotiating anything now. Our approach was precisely because of these challenges. It was to have a first phase where we really, through understanding migration, through uh, demystifying migration, through analyzing real evidence uh, of migration, we would be building trusts among member states. We Trust is the most important commodity in this negotiation. Trust is the only one that can shield us from um, undue politicization. Now, does this mean that the negotiation, when it comes next year, is going to be easy? Not at all. It's going to be extremely an extremely complex negotiation, and all those factors you have mentioned may play a role or may not. It really, it really depends on how things evolve by then. But the quid uh, of this is precisely trust. And we think we are, we, we are making a lot of progress there. But it's going to be very complex. As always, I completely agree. Just one more thought. If it were not politically complex, uh, we wouldn't be negotiating this. I think that's, uh, that's why uh, we had a New York Declaration last year, because member states uh, finally, we have to say, uh, decided that this is an issue that needs to be looked at on a global level within the UN, and that's why we find ourselves now uh, preparing this compact. Thank you. So to follow up on that point about the political atmosphere, there is some concern within civil society based on some of the statements from the member states in some of the sessions about returns and how people are returned. And there's also some concern because around the world we see policies that are being implemented that are based on deterrence, that include detention or interdiction, offshore processing, things of that nature. And the question in our mind is, how can the compact address these deterrence policies, which are really the model that's occurring in the world, in a way that preserves a nation's right to safeguard its borders, but also ensures that migrants have access to due process protections, to including the right to asylum? Can the global compact address that issue in a way that's balanced, that member states can agree to? We don't see from what we here from member states, that the sovereign right of countries around the world, every country, to control and give order to, it, to their borders is in contradiction of due process and the respect of fundamental rights of migrants. Um, we see that uh, they are 
if there are if there are some fundamental agreements in what we have discussed are these ones and you have to keep in mind as well one, one of the interesting things that we are uh, discovering in this process is that this perception of or that migration is just a south-north movement, people from developing countries going to rich countries and therefore poorer or developing countries demanding the right of their people to enter other countries, whereas the developed countries just rejecting it. In reality, the vast majority of migration is south-south. If you see, as we have been saying, if you see Africa, if you see Asia, if you see Latin America, the percentage of, of, of migrants that move intra-regionally, south-south, is surprisingly high, 60, 65, even 70%, to, according to, to, to figures that we have seen, which means that these considerations of borders and state sovereignty are not only concerns of rich countries or wealthy countries or developed countries are everywhere in the world because all countries are receiving migrants even if they are sending migrants uh, as well. And second, precisely because these complexities is that we need to educate ourselves in this phase. And as Ambassador Lover was saying, we are obsessed with the notion of 360 degrees understanding of migration. So we can see the phenomenon holistically, and we try to remove a sort of an adversarial approach to, to, to migration. Let's see how it goes. It's extremely complex, and, and member states will decide how, how they want to reflect this, these challenges, but we are very hopeful that it will be very successful. Yes, something I found really interesting in, in these uh, consultations we've had so far, that so many member states that we would have thought that they were in one or the other category as uh, countries of origin or country of destination are actually everything. There is very few countries, I would say, left that are either one or the other. Most of them find themselves in all, actually, yeah. three categories, origin, destination, and, tra and transit. And, and that, I think, the, the, there's an awareness, an increasing awareness of that, and that may help member states to, to find th this balance you were mentioning in the beginning. To change the subject a bit, um, you've both been very helpful in ensuring that civil society has a voice in the process, and we thank you for that. What is the most effective role you see civil society playing during the negotiation phase? What would be helpful in ensuring that you can find that common ground that moves the model forward globally? Is there a special role that civil society organizations can play in, in reaching that goal? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's an intergovernmental process, but it's not just us. Member states made that point very clearly also. They want civil society, other stakeholders included also, like private uh, business, etc. And what we've been saying all along, what would be really helpful is to get more specific information on, on how the situation is and more specific advice on what can be done, because civil society really plays an important role or can play an important role, because Many of these organizations, they know best what's really happening on the ground. They, they are in touch uh, with, uh, with migrants, with the people, with the communities uh, that are uh, concerned with the issue, uh, communities where migrants coming from, where migrants going, 
Now that is very important. So you could help us best by providing specific, as much specific information as possible and as much specific uh, advice on how to address the issue uh, as possible. Since I agree with that, let me just add something that civil society should not do. Civil society should not behave as we do member states, should not fall in the same traps as us member states fall in our negotiations processes, meaning our own UN-like mentality, our own inertias, because that's the way we work. And it's very challenging for us member states to, 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 to break that and to make progress. And that's the, the job of Ambassador Lover and myself. And this is a challenge that we see in every UN negotiation. If you see the reform process and everything now, is very much about not only changing the system, but changing the way we operate ourselves. Now, back to the civil society. It very often happens like this as well in the civil society side, in the NGO side. So I think that what we, what we need is, apart from NGOs avoiding the same behavior as member states, as negotiators, we need what Ambassador Glover said. Um, NGOs have the power, well, have, first of all, are, in, are on the ground, um, are there, are, are experiencing on a, almost on a daily basis the, the realities of migration. They are working with them. They are helping them. They are suffering with them. They are, I mean, it's, it's, they can be there. So that's what we need to to, to hear from, from civil society. That's what we need them to bring to the table. Less relevant, even if it is always welcome, negotiating positions as member states, as member states. So of that, we will have plenty. Mm. But NGOs can bring freshness, reality. That's what NGOs should bring to this process. Will the civil society or the representatives have a a seat at the table in the negotiation sessions, or has that been decided? How will they be able to provide that input? If you see how we design this process, this is one of the most open, plural, transparent process you can find in the UN. So as you have seen now, so far, spaces for the civil society are plenty, are very open, uncontested, all the contrary, all member states want NGOs to participate. Now, other thing is that we are also clear and need to be clear that this is a member states driven and it will be decided by member states, but based on a very plural approach. That's why NGOs really need to take advantage of this by bringing reality uh, to this process. So as a follow-up, Pope Francis has been an outspoken advocate for migrants. And Center for Migration Studies is a Catholic-based think tank. We were founded by the Scalabrini religious, Catholic religious order. Um, the Holy See mission has distributed some 20 action points for the compact. I don't know if you've had a chance to review those, which focus on human rights, integration, and welcome, and safe passage. Do you see these points as a solid blueprint for the compact? I uh, had a chance to look through it, and it's exactly what we, what we just said, what we need. Uh, without taking a position on the on the content, but the, the, the level of, of of specificity in these recommendations is is exactly what we are what we are looking for. 
And I think it, they're very, a very worthwhile, uh, very important contribution uh, to the discussions. I'm not sure whether they have already been submitted as a conference document. Uh, if not, maybe they, they should uh, do that. But uh, it's really uh, what we were hoping for to get uh, from, from member states, but from others. And this is an excellent contribution. Do you see faith groups and religious leaders having a special role in ensuring the positive outcome of the compact? What should their messaging be, in your opinion? I'm not so sure whether I would advocate for a specific messaging, but what I see in many of these groups, that they are, on the one hand, very close to the people concerned, to the migrants, to the kind of work they do. And as Ambassador Gomez Camacho just said, it, it, that's a very important link we need. We need uh, we can't invite all the migrants to the negotiations, so we need this transmission and, and we need to hear, hear the voice and you, we need those who are able to remind us, the member states, time and again that this is about people, it's not about abstract concepts. What we discuss here has implications. And on the other hand, many of these groups have a trans-regional um, reach, so they are not from that or this region, they are interlinked within the region. And I think these are two very important elements they can bring to the, to the discussions. As you well know, there's a parallel process occurring to produce another global compact on refugees. Do you have any concerns that these documents will overlap in some way and some of the issues they address? I'll throw out a few, maybe asylum, enforcement practices, integration practices, and possibly even contradict each other. And, and if you do have that concern or you think that's a possibility, What's being done to ensure that that, that the documents complement each other and that they're seamless as opposed to like saying different things on one issue? Member states have been clear and overwhelmingly uh, in favor of making sure that we keep both processes separated, but keeping an eye on each other. Why separated? Well, first, because while being mobility, they respond to different characteristics and uh, uh, rules, policies, and above all, international law addresses them differently. Um, we are seeing, though, in our migration debate, that this somehow new concept of forced migration is, is, is looking like a grayish area that may look like both, and we need to be very careful on how to be addressed. How it will be addressed, it will be part of how member states want to, to negotiate it. Um, but, yes, we are paying attention to each other, but not mixing. Sure. So I invite you, if you have any final words for our audience today, words of encouragement or advice that you'd like to give. No advice, just a, a plea. Keep uh, keeping engaged, keep engaged, uh, engaging the member states, also the co-facilitators. If you're not happy with uh, what is happening, because uh, this is a really a global issue, and uh, the UN, UN came to it late, but I think the New York Declaration of last year was a, a great success, and uh, we feel the constant expression of the intention of the member states to. To, to carry this on, to really address uh, the phenomenon of migration now on a global level, 
but we need uh, we need a, a very broad wave of of, of support uh, and of and of interest. So thank you for listening to this one, and and please uh, keep uh, keep uh, following us and and, and sending your contributions. Same, probably adding that uh, be be pragmatic, be practical, bring us real experiences from from the ground. This is not anymore the time of restating principles or restating the obvious or ensuring big uh, principle statements. I'm sorry to be so repetitive, but that's what is happening in the room all the time. So <laughs> bring concrete proposals, bring us, get us closer to the reality and keep engaged as possible. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Learn more about the Global Compact on Migration at refugeesmigrants.un.org. CMS On Air's theme music is provided by Danny Duberstein and The Music Case. To get more information on CMS's research, publications, and events, visit us at cmsny.org.